Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ari McGee, and I'm excited to be here, but not as excited about my three compadres who are willing to give all of their author knowledge to you. So here we go. First off, we are joined by Pippa Werner. Hello. Next up, we've got Jim Heskett. Hello. Happy to be here. Yes. And last but not least, we've got Nick Thacker. You threw me off, man, because the first time we did the dress rehearsal of this episode, I was second. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I, like I don't keep your toes. change it up on me. Got a like, yes like and, Nick. Your toes. Well, yes and. Well, <laughs> I'll flip you. Okay. So, you know, here's the thing. Nick and uh, Jim was just talking about a little while ago. Our little podcast has a couple listeners. I assumed, and Jim was apparently told somewhere in his contract, that there would be no listeners. And apparently that's not true. So thank you, whoever's out there listening to this thing. I'm sure we appreciate it. If we'll you, take the show seriously now. Uh, I, I can almost hear that one person out there going, yeah, it's me. He's talking about me. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, listen, one person, whoever the one person is that's listening, go and leave a review or a like wherever you listen. It would be nice to have more podcasts on iTunes reviews than just gems so that would be amazing <laughs> all right you guys got anything you want to get into before we get started no not this just time. the news okay. we had all kinds of fun stuff in the dress rehearsal and then i guess we're just gonna roll with it i guess so man <laughs> well, Too late. you're supposed to keep your clothes on in a dress rehearsal and you kept taking yours off so it's really awkward for That's everyone true. involved That's true. so it's really That's awkward true. so in any of it all right with no further ado, oh, let's crap. get into the news. News. <laughs> well, that went a lot better than I thought it would. Uh, I'm actually <laughs> At least pretty happy. Time, kinda, yeah, man. Know. Excellent. Well done. Well done. All right, guys. Let's go to our first story. It is from a cat named Nathan Bransford. I guess his tagline on his site is helping authors achieve their dreams, which sounds nice. So on his site, he has an article, which is actually from someone named Christine Pride. Sorry, Christine, I didn't notice. I assume Nathan did it. Nathan, the heck with you, man. Christine, good work. All right. How a book goes from acquisitions to bookstore shelves. Now, Christine has kind of laid out the way that you go from pitching your book and getting your book accepted to getting to the bookstore. Now, this is trad-centric, obviously, but I'm wondering how many of these kind of things that we incorporate in our own launches and things like that. So do you guys have a chance to take a look at that? What Any of this seem familiar to your own process? Uh, let's see. How about Nick? He looks like he's inhaling to say something. Never mind. You're muted, man. Yeah. Uh-oh. All I said, though, was that you were making fun of the way I breathe. I just breathe with my mouth wide open. Like, Don't breathe, Shane, Murray. I thought <laughs> you were about to draw hey, some Arnold. knowledge. <laughs> and the only knowledge I have to draw is to answer your question. Yeah, this is similar to, uh, I, I would think, the launch of any book. However, I don't think that really 
means much. I mean, it, before you get a book anywhere, it's got to be finished. Probably got to decide a publication date, probably got to edit it, probably got to have some production, that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, this is a good list. So editing probably doesn't look the same for indies as it does for a trad house. Neither does marketing because in a traditionally published house, they don't do any of it. Ayo! <laughs> Are you speaking from experience, Mr. Thacker? I have experience with traditional published work. Yeah, I think we're at a crossroads here with publishing companies, I think about to find out the hard way that if they don't change how they're doing and approaching marketing and promotion, their outlook is going to be bleak pretty quick. I know that's all vague and kind of weird, but the point is like, I believe traditional publishers are trying to do as little marketing as meaning uh, advertising, I should say, spending money on marketing as possible. They want to give an author an advance, basically saying, hey, here's $5,000 that we're going to give you uh, so you know we're never going to dump any money into the marketing in the back end. I guess it's kind of a weird way of saying it, but if you get an advance for a million dollars, you better believe that traditional publisher is going to be marketing the shit out of you because they want to make their money back, right? If they give you $5,000, they're basically admitting to you they're not going to put any money toward getting an advertising because they've already spent $5,000 and they want to see if the book's going to actually earn out. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's my takeaway. It really doesn't have anything to do with the article, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm waiting for someone else to talk now because... Well, they're also okay. splitting... They're splitting the advances into three or four parts now. So not only have advances radically shrunk, they're coming in chunks over time, which is kind of defeating the purpose of the advance, right? It is. It's making it a job. It's saying, you know, here's your money for doing the stuff that we should be doing all along, which is marketing the book. So they're basically just saying, not so secretly, here's, we're going to give it to you in quarterly chunks so that you have this money to market your own damn book because we're not going to do it anymore. Mm, I don't like the way that sounds. I think my slightly less cynical take would be that publishers have spent a lot of money on methods of marketing that don't necessarily work. So I remember hearing from, I think it was an editor at one point, about how the big shiny book tours were given to the big name authors because they demanded them, but they didn't help at all with any of the publicity. And so it's like they're dumping money into these things. And from their perspective, like, well, marketing doesn't work. I mean, all of the Stephen King books sell without us really marketing them. So mm. Mm. I think it's amusing where it says um, common misconception is how fast books come to market. People are surprised that the process takes a year or more. And, you know, we've heard that a year, 18 months, sometimes even two years to get a book from the point where you get an editor or maybe even getting an agent could be longer than that because the agent still has to pitch it to the editors. So I have a traditional book with an Amazon imprint. And from the point that they told me that they wanted my book to when it was published was about three months. So I know that it's possible to publish books faster because that's what Amazon did. Now, machines get bigger and they require more parts and they require more maintenance and they require more things to make them work. And Amazon is a very, very large machine and traditional publishing houses are very, very big machines. But I don't know that it necessarily needs to take a year for a book to come out. And I find that annoying. Well, That's one reason why I won't traditional publish again. Let's look at the inefficiency we can already see in this article. They're talking about having however many people brought into a cover meeting weekly 
is that a good use of people's time? Probably <laughs> mm, mm. not. About how many books they're publishing? So you're saying they should probably be making those decisions a lot more frequently than a week, huh? Than once a week. Well, I mean, get three people in a room, show them mm. eight versions of the cover, say, go with that one. Mm. Pitch it to the author. Like, how many meetings do you need for this? I mean, good, right? how often are you changing? So in the indie world, you know, if you slap a cover on and you identify that the cover is one of the reasons your book may not be selling well, you change the cover. I've done it, you know, four or five times for each book in my series. So that's one of those iterative processes that small business, or I should say startup culture, has given indie authors that traditional publishers need to really discover for themselves. There's no reason to have meetings with anyone other than the cover designer and whoever's in charge of the book, the author liaison, one time. Then you trust the cover designer to do their damn job and you have a cover and that's it. You don't need yeah, and you're backing yourself into decision paralysis, decision fatigue. Exactly. Like if you're yep. doing this with so every creepy. aspect of the book, identify something good, 90, 95%, and go with it. And if it mm. backfires, change it later. Mm. Mm. Right on. Well, I think you guys are right. It's, uh, it's just kind of a different ecosystem that these guys are working with. And, uh, you know, for us that kind of get our books together and get them put out when we want to and make these decisions a lot faster. It seems a little strange, so maybe they'll catch up and maybe they won't. I guess we'll see. All right, guys, next story. Now, this, I think, is the job for me. I don't know that anyone's had a better job ever. This is from IndieWire.com, and uh, the title is Blade Runner Studio has two employees hired to keep franchises timeline organized. Two jobs at Alcon Entertainment ensure Blade Runner characters and plot points have a logic within canon. That's incredible to me. Are you guys paying people to keep all your plots congruent within your book series? Is that how it goes? Anybody? Some people with volunteer squads who do that. But Oh, that would be nice. That would be nice. So let me ask you. Some of you guys have longer, like much longer series. How do you keep everything? How do you keep everything straight? I mean, we're we talking series Bibles. Is there another trick? What do you guys do to keep everything situated? I use a series Bible for each of my series. Mm-hmm. Each character gets a paragraph and then it's just built it up over time. But I'm also, I feel like I've also over my career gotten better at being vaguer about exposition so that I don't have to put myself in a scenario where I contradict myself. You know, there's some properties that do this really well. Like if you watch The Walking Dead, you know, I watched the first probably seven or eight seasons of that show. And on that show, they never talk about time. They never talk about, well, it's been six months since the zombie invasion or it's been three months since dude died. They never talk about time or any of that stuff on the show. So it's always very fluid. And so there's lots of room to play. You don't hem yourself in with saying this thing happened exactly six weeks ago. And so I find that fascinating and I try to write more like that now where I include very small details and try to make things vague so that I won't uh, contradict myself later. Yeah, I have tried hiring somebody to do a series Bible for me, but it was going to be prohibitively expensive because they weren't even remotely familiar with any of my stuff. So they would have had to start from the beginning and take notes as they go. I've used a similar process to what Jim's doing. I use a couple different programs, a couple apps. One's called Aeon, Aeon Timeline. How do you pronounce that? A-E-O-N. 
it's like that weird AE word. I think like it's eon. Yeah. Eon like timeline. E- yeah, like eon flux, right? Yeah. The name of the yeah, yeah. Is that how you pronounce that? Eon, I always was like Aeon flux. I'm from Texas though. Aeon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Aeon timeline. Which I can drop in the link in the show notes. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty sexy chronological timeline that lets you do pretty much anything. You can set up your own time. It could be future, past, whatever. And I've used that. I know when I was doing a lot of co-writing stuff, like, you know, Jim and I did some prequel stuff to my main Harvey Bennett series. That was really nice to keep in track of like characters who might have died in a certain book. And we wanted to write them back in in previous time. I've also used an app called Persona, which is just for characters. You put a character in, you can actually choose from some archetypes, you know, some archetypal hero. It'll show you how they interact with other archetypes, which is pretty cool. So it's a research tool, but it also is a great way to keep track of your character's looks, you know, personality type tags, so that it doesn't end up sounding like my first two books, which are like, you know, the man with hair screamed at the woman also with hair, so that you don't have to be vague, like Jim was saying, be a little bit more specific, keep things straight. I used that before. However, I also want to say that right in the modern day and with the world that we know. I'm not writing fantasy. I'm not writing sci-fi uh, where really you can break the rules you know, of modern reality. So I think it would be a little more challenging without one of these tools to write that kind of stuff. Maybe Pippa knows more about that aspect of it. Well, you know, Nick bags on it, but The Man with Hair is one of our best-selling titles. <laughs> it's, That's what it's bought a thriller you, written all over it. Yeah, it's what bought you the boat out back, right? <laughs> <laughs> Putting Every my kid through college. Person. This is the house that man with no hair built. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Well, Pippa, I know you do write a different, like a departure from what Nick does. Is there any other tips that you have uh, that you kind of use to keep things straight? Honestly, in my latest book, it took some vodka and a lot of scraps of paper. Mm. I had to tear it apart at the seams at one point because it actually is very important in that book, the order in which things happen. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, I'm sitting there with little analyses of how fast messenger ravens can fly compared mm. to, like, different like, horses and trying yeah. to, to do it together. But the only thing that this b- brings to mind is a piece of advice from CJ Cherry, actually, who's a multiple time Hugo winner. Mm. who just said, be very nonspecific about your technology. Mm. So just like they checked their messages because Mm. then people can read, they can just see it in their head. You're not describing a piece of technology that's maybe different from what they use. Mm. So like, here are some tapes. Like no one uses tapes anymore. Like why are they using tapes 3000 years in the future? Mm. Okay. Right on. Well, that makes I sense. I had readers help out before with that. Like, I have one character who had his arm chopped off in one book, and so he gets this really cool prosthetic. And then the next book, I just gave him an arm again. Like, I didn't even remember right. that I'd done that. And so some readers were like, hey, I thought his arm was chopped off. And so I had to go back and, like, you know, fix it up. And I thought that would mean, so some readers will keep you in track. But my dream is to have what, uh, so George R.R. R. Martin, I think he was on Conan or something. Maybe one of you guys has seen this. But he's got this guy in the UK somewhere, I think, who like George Martin will be writing something and he'll forget like the color of this character's hair. And so he'll ping this guy and be like, hey, what color was this guy's hair? And the guy will be like, oh, blonde. So then he'll write that in the book because he just doesn't keep track of it all. 
that's my dream is to have a bunch of readers who are just like so nerdy about my stuff that they mm. keep it all right in their head. But then I have mm. to talk to readers and if they're in the UK, I mean, it's just, it's not even worth it. You know, no, <laughs> of course that does sound troublesome. That's hard. I understand. It's a hard life. I understand. <laughs> all right. Right on. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Maybe if this studio is looking for anyone else, I would do this job for them. So, Hey, shout out to uh, the blade runner people. If y'all need any help, uh, just let me know. Just let me know. All right. So this is kind of an interesting article. It comes to us from earmuffs, Nick. Earmuffs. Okay, Nick's got his earmuffs on. The Guardian in the UK. Okay, you're good, Nick. Don't worry. All right. And the title is, this is, you know, kind of just a throwaway maybe, but it's a little interesting. The first edition of Frankenstein sells for record-breaking $1.17 million. An exceptionally rare first edition of Mary Shelley's gothic classic has broken the world auction record for a printed work by a woman. That's crazy. You know what I didn't know is that she was 18 when she came up with this stuff. That's uh, it's pretty interesting. And you guys ever read, am I hearing myself? Somebody echoing. Okay. Just wondering, because I'm like, dude, I think I'm having a stroke. Okay, well, it's not the first time I've had a stroke. Well, it would be the first time, but whatever, you know, let's not be hyperbolic here. All right. So let's see. The first edition was one of 500 copies of the novel printed in 1818 and the first to be auctioned since 1985. That's the thing that kind of interesting to me. Do you anticipate that most of those 500 copies were just kind of read and lost and thrown away to history? Is that how you go almost 35 years without one coming to auction? I don't know. Was Frankenstein like pulp trash when it was published like people thought of dickens stuff that it was just like common vulgar genre fiction yeah like most novels i think novels still at that time were just any written stuff generally for consumption was considered trash no better than a penny dreadful yeah yeah well any i don't know that's interesting have any of you guys ever actually read her version of frankenstein nope Ah, me either. Nick, is that a yes? Yeah. What do you mean by her version? I mean, she wrote it, right? What do you mean yeah, her yeah. Version? Her, like her version, you know, there's been like all sorts of people's take on it later and weird oh. stuff. But I mean, like her actual. No, I read it. Yeah. How yeah. Is it? I was in a, I had to take British literature in college. It was one of the most hideous experiences of my life. Um, <laughs> and they, they forced us to read. They, so they, that's they who hurt you. <laughs> We're getting somewhere. So. <laughs> author news therapy has been a uh, really yes. helpful this week. Okay, catharsis so. it was good i mean it was okay i guess like it was one of those books where i think it could have been in the back of like reader's digest as like a short story and you know of course it was a whole freaking novel but whatever that still impressive that she was able to do it at 18 although i mean 18 18 i guess is that when it came out people lived for like 17 minutes back then right yeah, yeah. so i mean if you weren't like perfecting your fiction craft by the age of seven and a half, like you probably didn't have a chance. So yeah, yeah. impressive, but no, anyway, it's great. I think the story is compelling to me. We've been thinking like, well, 500 is not nothing. Like there's other copies out there somewhere. I'm with you, RA. I want to go over there and start finding some of these copies, get myself some sweet millions. Well, I'm talking I bet I could find two or three of them, you know? <laughs> dude, that should be the plot of one of your Harvey Bennett novels, dude. They have to go and find one of the lost manuscripts of Mary Shelley. That would be dope. They're like, we found Atlantis. We fixed, you know, the world from imploding from the inside. We figured out what the mechanical mystery inside the Sphinx is. 
I guess all that's left is to go find some copies of a first edition book in Britain. Yes, yes but there's I a see how my readers would be really interested in hearing no, that. No, but there's like some kind of code because wasn't her husband like Lord Percy, uh, Lord Shelley, Byron, Lord Byron Shelley or whatever? You can say he was. Oh, no, that's her. Of- that's her friend. Yeah, her husband was some kind of lord, but everybody was back then. Yeah, but hey, maybe he wrote something in the first edition that's some kind of like alchemic experiment or something to stop the end of the world. I don't know. That's a free uh, advice for you, Nick. You can take it or leave it, my friend. I'll don't go ahead. Don't don't leave it lightly. Don't leave it lightly. <laughs> All right. In any event, so whoa, whoa. I was just looking at the chat here. I'm going to. I, I got to read the headline. Was apparently quite extra. Um, <laughs> if if he reads the headline, I got to put it in the show notes, folks. That's how. That's the rule. Well, so Pippa just linked us to something from LitHub, and I haven't clicked it yet, but the hyperlink says, did Mary Shelley actually lose her virginity to Percy on top of her mother's grave? Ah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, apparently she was quite extra, so. (laughs) (laughs) Right on, man. Hey, you know, where can we get some peace and quiet? (laughs) With mama. Well, your mom's dead, so. So <laughs> weird. That was a weird one. All right. <laughs> Newsflash. Writers are weirdos. Yeah, no wonder. I'm going to move along because that was just so weird. I don't know where to go from there. All right. Next story for us. I think, Nick, you linked us to this or Jim, one of you guys. It's from Book Riot. It's called How to Start a Book Podcast by Claire Hanscom. How I Started My Book Podcast. And you can too. So what do you think? What about this article is going to help us with our book podcast, Jim? Well, you know, I believe that if you are trying to reach readers, you should give them what they want. And what they want are books and stuff tangentially. There's a word in there. You guys know which one I mean. Related to book stuff. And so... I think if you were an author with a good amount of time, creating a book podcast, a podcast about books would be a great thing to attract readers. You know, starting a book club, talking about books that you read, all these kinds of things. I'm involved in some large reader groups and I see other authors come in there and talk about their books and get kicked out. I see other authors come in there and not talk about their books to talk about other people's books and endear themselves to the community and become part of the community. And I think that's what we should be trying to do. I guess I shared this article because I'm saying in a perfect world, I wish I had enough time to read everything on the thriller charts and have a podcast where I could talk about them. I think that would be a very popular podcast for people in my genre, but I just don't have time Mm. for that. Understood. Understood. Now, actually, this kind of brings me back to Pippa. We, a while back, had talked about podcasting, and you had a a podcast that you were spinning up uh, that your readers were asking for. How is that? Because that's literally your book podcast. So uh, how's that working for you? Have you launched that thing yet? I have. It's going. It seems to be going well. People seem to be listening. So that's good. Hopefully, it'll get word out. And I am actually thinking of reading all of my books out loud, if only to myself, because Mm -hmm. it is making a lot of stuff clear about my writing style, or occasionally I'll catch things that several rounds of did not catch that were like the same thing a couple paragraphs later, or 
whatever it is. So it's been useful for a lot of things, but I will say it is a surprisingly emotionally vulnerable experience reading my own stuff out loud. And I'm not quite sure why that is. So, Hmm. you know, I can't sympathize with you exactly, but the weirdest thing for me is always when I kind of proof my audiobooks, right? When the narrator sends it to me and I'm listening to it line by line to make sure that they're not jacking stuff up. I feel the same way as you. Like I hear things and I'm like, dude, I really use that sentence when I just use that sentence, like one paragraph above, like, what am I doing? Why did he read this? Why are we even making this book? Cancel this stuff, you know? And uh, it's a rough one. It's a rough one. So, all right, cool. Well, book podcast stuff can work out for you. It'd be good stuff. Be good stuff. All right. So moving on, the next story is one that I did not put in the show notes. So it's another surprise. And let me set the stage for this for you guys just a little bit, okay? Yesterday afternoon, I got an email from one of the book places that I deal with, and it said the top 10 misspelled words, okay? So me and my wife, I gave the list to her. She asked me the ones, and I only got four out of 10 right. So I'm not really impressed with myself, okay? Flash forward to yesterday evening where Nick rightly called me out for misspelling Hemingway, right? Which further cemented the fact that I am horrible at spelling, right? Because who misspells Ernest Hemingway's name, right? So what I wanted to do is take the original list that I went through with my wife and see how many you guys get right off the top of your head, okay? I'll go in clockwise order. There's only a few of them. It'll be fast. So I'm going to start with Mr. Nick Dacker. I know he's going to say I was told there would be no tests, and I'm sorry that we lied to you, sir. But Ooh, okay, uh, here, we go. here we go. Okay. Hands where I can see him, though. Hands where I can see him. I don't want any, like, Alexing or whatever. Okay. First word. Some of these are going to sound easy, but maybe I'm just horrible at spelling. Separate. I have to spell that? Yeah, you got to spell that. S-E-P-A-R-A-T-E. Yeah. Yeah, Jim was shaking his head. No, yeah, you think Jim there's an E. Spell. You think there's an E like I do. Mm. It's an A. I missed that one. Jim. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's uh, tricky. Okay. The next one is for you, okay? It's embarrass. Just embarrass? Embarrass. E-M-B-A-R-A-S-S. I missed that too. There's is two that wrong? R's. There's two, there's two R's. R's. Huh, okay. Who would have thunk? Pippa. <laughs> yeah. Liaison. L-I-A-I-S-O-N. Perfect. Okay. Nick, guarantee. <laughs> guarantee. G-U-A-R-A-N-T-E-E. Ah, well done. Well done. Okay, Jim, this is one of my nemesis I'm giving you right you now. You guys know I won right? the National Spelling Bee in fifth grade? No, I did not know that. Oh, I did. But I'm happy. I'm happy that you did. Definitely. Can I hear it in a sentence, please? I'm just <laughs> yes. Um, you I are definitely, definitely going to spell this wrong. I definitely got this word wrong yesterday. Definitely. D-E-F-I-N-I-T-E-L-Y. Woo! Yes, you definitely got that right. Pippa, vacuum. Ooh. Oh, man. How many C's? <laughs> Just keep saying C. Just B A C C C C C C C C C C C C C C U U M. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. All right, Nick. We only got a couple more here. Accommodate. I guess spell accommodate. Okay. A C C O M A D A T E. Negative. A C C O M M O D A T E. Oh, that's what I meant. I know. Me too. Okay. Jim, recommend. 
recommend. Yeah, recommend. R E C O M M E N D. Perfect. All right. I got two more. Pippa <laughs> Zucchini. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Z U C C H I N I. Oh, well done. Cut that, well done. Cut that. Zucchini. <laughs> yep. All right, Nick. Last one is receive. R E C E I V E. Wait a minute. I closed the app before I verified. Hold on. R E C E I V. Perfect. Perfect. Well done. I only got four out of those 10. You know, I those rely very ones. Yeah, those I are... rely very heavily on spell check when I re- I mostly blame the French for many <laughs> of those. Uh, the English language is the worst. I before E except after C and also in a bunch of other occasions. So the this doesn't away. really mean anything. Right. <laughs> That's really funny, man. That's really funny. Well, all right, guys. I just thought I could spring that on you and we'd see. I think you all spell better than me, so congratulations. But apparently that's not really saying much. So, all right, guys. <laughs> do you guys have anything else that you want to add for today? I will say this was probably the most stressful episode of Author News Weekly. <laughs> really, uh, really starting to sweat over here. This is the first test he's given us, though. He gave us the one about like what different words meant. That's, that's right. true. That was a tricky one. And next week, it'll be, I'm going to read a list of ballot votes, and you tell me which side you're on. <laughs> Red or blue, we find out next week. <laughs> a podcast divided. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, for all of us at Author News Weekly, I'm Ari McGee saying this meeting is over. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.